by transcription. The truth is that my closeness to the leading men of that foreign nation has been a comfort to me in all these sensational attempts to create difficulties between the countries. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold and written by Gene Holloway. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. We'll bring you Edward Arnold as Mr. President in just a moment. But first, a number of people have asked us where we find the interesting stories dramatized for you on Mr. President. So before we bring you today's memorable incident, we'll take a few moments to answer your question. These stories aren't found by any means. They're dug for by a staff of research experts and then traced sometimes to the four corners of the globe. One of our stories about Grover Cleveland remained an unsolved mystery until an obituary notice in a Paris newspaper put the pieces together. Another story came right out of the Navy records. Eyewitness accounts of a mutiny caused by the son of a former Secretary of War. Incidentally, do you know that the Mr. President's scripts are sent to schools for their use in more than a hundred cities? Yes, our children are getting a new and authentic slant on history. Now listen to Mr. President and see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. happened in Washington a few years ago. Listen closely and see if you can tell who the president was. It was a beautiful day and the president had decided to take a motor trip with one of his aides. He thought the aide should have a restful ride in the country. You enjoying the trip, Mr. President? What did you say, George? I said, are you enjoying the trip? What grip? No, not grip. Trip. Trip. Trip? That's right. Trip over what? I said, are you enjoying the trip? Oh, <laughs> yes, indeed. How about you? But personally, I don't believe the automobile will ever replace the train. Oh, it couldn't possibly. There isn't a cloud in the sky. Uh, what'd you say? I say it couldn't possibly. There isn't a cloud in the sky. I wonder how many miles the chauffeur has the car up to. What? I said, how fast do you think the chauffeur is driving? Hey, this car can really travel. I like a train. I say it couldn't rain. Why do you keep harping on rain? No, I'm not harping on rain. Trains. 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 Trains where? No, I give up. I give up. What's the matter, George? Why are you making faces? No, watch out, you fool. You're going to tip off. We're going 20 miles. 
miles an hour. We're going a mile. <laughs> 20 miles an hour, the motor's liable to explode. Not my motor. The motor on this car is the best motor you ever want. Why, you couldn't ask for a better motor than this car has. Say, the engine's on fire. The engine couldn't be on fire. Well, well that, that steam's pouring out of the engine for some reason. Well, what's the trouble, Mike? The engine's on fire again. I've got the canteen of water right here. Now, stand back, everybody. Stand back. Is is it all right to pour water on a motor like that? Why, you can do anything to this car. This car's made of iron. Well, well, we certainly chose a great place to get stuck. Whoa, look, here comes a horse and a buggy. Look at that old-fashioned mode of transportation. Out of date and everything. Oh, look! Oh, that's funny! You better grab the horse's bridle and lead him by the car, George. He doesn't like to lift him out to me. Yeah, well, I don't blame him. Oh, 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 Why, she didn't even thank me. <laughs> eh, some people's children have no manners at all, at all. Well, you might as well go sit under that tree and eat your lunch while I do some work on the car, Mr. President. All right, Mike. Come along, George. I'll carry the lunch basket. Now, honestly, Mr. President, don't you think those automobiles are a pretty silly form of transportation? We could have been home by now if we'd been on a train. <laughs> you know, if you want to continue as my aid, George, <laughs> you're going to have to try to cultivate a happier disposition. Yeah, well, my disposition was all right until you shut it up in that contraption and drove it out here. <laughs> I thought some fresh air would do us both good. And it would give me a chance to think about what to do in this Japan situation. Have you reached any decision, Mr. President? Well, I can't say that I've solved the problem, no, but I do have to find some way of getting California to agree on the Japanese immigration. We can't discriminate against the nation. It isn't going to be easy to convince California. Mm, but there must be a way. There just must be a way. Yeah, a piece of chicken. You know, I believe a lot of people are trying to provoke trouble between Japan and this country. And I'm not going to have it. Well, it sounds like Mike has the car fixed. The car's ready, Mr. President. All right, Mike. Come on over and have something to eat. She's as fit as a fiddle again. You really think she's going to run, do you? Oh, sure. We'll be on our way right after lunch, sir. You think we'll ever see Washington again? Gosh, we will. Nothing more's going to happen. Of course it isn't. That car's the greatest thing on wheels. That car's going to take us home in style. We won't have any more trouble now. <laughs> you know, your faith is a beautiful thing to behold, Mr. President. Oh, there <laughs> you have the whole secret, George. Faith can move mountains. And it can move automobiles. You'll see. We won't have any more trouble getting home now. Why are you stopping, Mike? Something wrong with the car? No, sir, I'm just wondering how we're going to get across this stream. Well, just ford it, go right through. But I don't know how deep it is. All right, I'll find out. I'll wade across. Oh, George, I don't like you to have to do that. Well, someone has to do it. Mike has to drive. I'll wade across ahead of the car and he can follow me. Mm, well, take off your shoes and stockings and roll up your trouser legs. As long as the water isn't over the fenders, it's all right. We don't want anything to happen to the car now. No, no, that's right, Mike. We don't want anything to happen to the car now. Well, here I go. Mr. President, 
We who are about to die salute you. <laughs> Thank you, George. We salute you, too. Give him a send-off on the horn, Mike. Yes, Mr. President. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's all right so far. Come on. I'll start the car, Mike. All right, we're coming. We're coming. Don't go too fast. George, feel your way. Feel your way. Be careful now. We don't want anything to happen to the car. Oh, he can't go too fast. He doesn't know how deep it is. Oh, I'm all right. Oh, good heavens, he's gone under. He knows how deep it is now. He hasn't come up. Come on, Mike. Man overboard to the rescue. I'm coming, George. I'm coming. I'm coming. Come on. We'll turn off the boat. We'll help out. Watch out. Their self breaks off. Say, watch your step, Mr. President. I will. I will. I'll be killing. Mr. President. There's a shelf here. Wet, isn't it? The shelf breaks off. Oh, well, now that we've each found that out for our very own selves, we can... Confounded, I think I swallowed a tadpole. <laughs> Why, you couldn't possibly have swallowed a tadpole. Well, I swallowed something and it's nibbling at me. <laughs> well, let's stand. Let's not stand here in the water all day. Well, I think the thing to do is to work our way downstream and find a place to get the car across. <clears throat> Nothing like a motor trip in the country, is there, Mr. President? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. George, where's your sense of humor? I'm afraid it's wet, Mr. President. All wet. Well, now let's find a place to get the car across. The important thing is the car. Yeah, well, how about the President of the United States? <clears throat> Confound it, I know I swallowed a tadpole. He's jumping all over my stomach. <laughs> uh, now, you wouldn't be laughing so hard if, if you'd swallowed the tadpole. <clears throat> oh. You're right, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, now let's find a place to cross and get the car out of this water. I don't want tadpoles swimming around the car's engine. Yeah, all right, Mike, we'll find a place. We know the car is the important thing. I hope I have my head examined if I ever step into one again. <laughs> I said, bless you. Ah, uh, yes. Who? Not yes, who. Bless you. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. Ah, excuse me. What did you say, George? I said, bless you. Oh, thank you, George. <laughs> oh, bless you, Mike. <laughs> How do you feel, George? How would you feel with a tadpole swimming around inside of you? <laughs> Oh, there, now, you see what's happened? The tadpole has caught cold. There's nothing like a motor trip in the country. George, we're home. Oh, yeah, so we are. 
You know, I never really believed we'd see the White House again. You know, the car's in great shape. She came through splendidly. That's a shame. Well, here's my wandering boy. Safe at home again. How are you, dear? Hello, Father. Did you have a good trip? How was the car? Who'd you see? What happened? Hey, wait a minute, son. I... Uh... <laughs> Where'd you get the cold? <laughs> Pardon me, Madam President. Oh, my goodness. You have a cold, too, Mike. What on earth happened? Have you got a cold, George? No. I've got a tadpole that has a cold. <laughs> well, you've come right in the house. Come along, all three of you. You're going to have hot foot baths, hot lemonades, and hot mustard plasters. You better put one on the edge of the car. It's been exposed, too. <laughs> well, George, I'm happy to see your sense of humor is still functioning. It isn't, really. Oh, gosh, that's a beautiful cold pop. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Come along now, all of you, please. And uh, the Japanese ambassador is waiting to see you, dear, but he'll just have to wait until you get those wet clothes off. I'm uh, sorry I had to keep you waiting, Mr. Ambassador. Your admirable wife explained the situation, Mr. President. I am happy to have the privilege of waiting. How is your honorable nose just now? Well, my honorable nose is better, but my wife has a mustard plaster on my honorable check and a che <coughs> chest and... That feels terrible. Oh, so I understand. My wife, too, has found out about the mustard pasta since we have been in America, and it has been a source of great pain to my entire family. Uh, tell me, Mr. Ambassador, what did you want to talk to me about? Mr. President, my country is much disturbed over the sentiment against Japan on the Pacific coast. You assured us things would be better. But I am sorry to have to inform you that they have grown steadily worse. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, you must know that things like this sometimes take time to work out. I don't say that California is right, but I must say that I understand her feeling. And you must admit that some of the California feeling has been provoked by the Japanese nationals. It is a serious problem that confronts us, Mr. President. A problem that might even lead to war. Oh, I find that very hard to believe, Mr. Ambassador. I was in your country as a representative of my country. I had a chance to talk with the people, and I found only friendship and affection for the United States. I can't believe that war would develop between us. We do not like the newspaper references, Mr. President, that call us the yellow peril. You and I can talk quietly between ourselves and settle many problems. But the young people of both our nations are hot-blooded, and the blood boils over when it is heated by insults. Frames are being fanned in California. Why, I do not know, but they are being fanned. And the conflagration that might result is most terrible to contemplate. You know, there is wisdom in much that you say. I cannot deny that. But let us try, you and I, in every way we can, to preserve peace between our people. Mr. President, Japan can be handled if you can handle California. Dear, you aren't eating a thing. 
I'm sorry. I don't seem to be very hungry tonight. How's your cold? Oh, my cold is better, son. Then what is the matter? Son, you mustn't ask nosy questions like that. If I felt that you should know what was wrong, I would tell you. Oh, dear, don't you think that's a bit harsh? After all, he's only a little boy. I want him to respect the privacy of his fellow man, even if he is a little boy. Every man is entitled to keep his own counsel when he feels it necessary. And I don't want my son to develop into a human question box. Do you understand that, my son? Yes, sir. I beg pardon, Mr. President, but there's a telephone call from New York from Master Charles. A telephone call for... A telephone call from New York for Master Charles? Thank you. May I please be excused to take the call, Father? Who do you know in New York? I don't know, sir. May I please be excused? Well, I'll be hanged. Run along and take it, son. Thank you, Mother. I'll be long. Did you hear who was on the line? Well, I believe it was a newspaper office, sir, from the way it sounded. A newspaper office? Calling Charlie? Yes, sir. Oh. No, why would a newspaper office call Charlie? I really don't know, dear. Have some more roast beef? No, thank you. Are things bad with Japan? Well, they could be dangerous, but I'm not going to let them be. Have you a plan? I'll find a plan somehow. Somewhere I'll find a plan. I'm sorry I kept you waiting, Father. May I please have some more roast beef? Certainly. Well? Sir? Who was on the telephone? A man. Oh, well, it's nice to know it wasn't a woman at any rate. No, sir. It was a man. Well, here's your roast beef. Thank you. Charlie, do you intend to tell me who was on the telephone? I was able to handle the situation, Father. What situation? The man on the telephone. What did the man on the telephone want? Father, you said that every man is entitled to keep his own counsel. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Oh, nothing, dear. The roast beef, it, it suddenly appeared very humorous to me. Now, Charlie, understand this. Yes, Father? Well, I... Oh, never mind. Go ahead and eat your roast beef. Yes, Father. Sometimes, Charlie, you're more of a problem than the whole United States, California, and Japan. Maybe that's because I'm your son, Father. There's no maybe about that, Charlie. It's very definitely because you're my son. And if there ever was a chip off the old block, it's... Thank you, you Father. Oh, eat your roast beef and don't talk so much. I don't care who phones you anyhow. Well, that's fine, then. And Charlie doesn't care what you're worried about. So let's have some ice cream and let each man worry about his own problems. Nell, you know, you're a very wise woman. Well, dear, I'm your wife and his mother. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Have you ever paused to consider that the American economic system has brought greater material means for happiness to more people than any other the world has known? In addition, the American economic system has preserved the basic freedoms of the individual, the freedom to work in any profession, to own property, or start an enterprise. Today, it is important that we understand these facts about our economic system in order to protect it from propaganda attacks. This doesn't mean that each individual should understand production and distribution, but it does mean that each individual in this democracy of ours should realize the benefits of the American economic system and work to protect this system against attack. Let's learn how, by working together, a still better living can be had for all. Send for the free booklet, The Miracle of America, which explains clearly and simply how we can do it. Address Box 10, Times Square Station, New York City, for your copy. 
And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Well, have you guessed who the president was in those days when the automobile was a challenge to the stout-hearted and the brave? And the trouble brewing between California and Japan looked as though it might plunge the two countries into war? It all really happened, so listen closely. The president spent many days deep in thought, walking back and forth, up and down, wrestling with his problem. And at last, he sent for the governor of California. I'm very happy to see you, governor. Thank you, Mr. President. I'm happy to be here. Sit down, won't you? Will you have a cigar? No, thanks. Well, tell me, how are things in California? Why, the oranges are bigger than ever, the mountains are taller, the trees are higher, the climate couldn't be better, the girls couldn't be more beautiful, the... <laughs> In other words, everything's better than ever in California. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> I understand you'd like to have a World's Fair in San Francisco. Yes, we would, and let me tell you, sir, California will put on a fair such as has never been seen before. California doesn't do things on a small scale, Mr. President. Uh, I know that. And I admire them for it, and especially I admire them for the large scale of enthusiasm they show for their own state. Every Californian that I meet is a whole chamber of commerce in himself. <laughs> Let's talk about that World's Fair. You know, I've been thinking a lot about it lately because New Orleans is also very eager to stage an exposition. New Orleans? Yes. New Orleans couldn't begin to put on a fair like San Francisco can put on. Well, now, wait a moment. I don't know. I just don't know, Governor. There are a great many things to be taken into consideration. What kind of thing? Well, there's the Japanese question, for one thing. We're in the process of negotiating a treaty with Japan right now to give California the protection she thinks she needs. But Japan is becoming more and more offended with California every day, and the treaty becomes increasingly hard to negotiate. Well, now, Mr. President, uh, granted that all you say may be true, still, what does that have to do with the question of a world's fair? Mr. Governor, right now, California wants to pass laws that will bar Orientals from the rights and privileges enjoyed by other foreigners. If those laws pass, how could we possibly invite any of the eastern countries to come to an exposition in California? It couldn't be done. On the other hand, no problem like that exists in New Orleans. New Orleans doesn't have the problem of coping with the Japanese immigrants. Well, Japan has promised to limit immigration, and she has kept her word. I can show you the figures. Mr. Governor, I think you know how I feel about this situation. California can pass any law she desires that applies to all aliens, as long as it is not contrary to provisions in the Constitution, and as long as it does not conflict with an existing treaty. But I do not feel that California can enact uh, legislation that applies only to the Japanese and to no other aliens. Such things breed trouble, Mr. Governor. Such things can breed war. You say that uh, the treaty that you're negotiating with Japan will protect the rights of my state? Yes, and I'll be glad to go over it with you a little later. I think you'll find it completely satisfactory. Of course, I see your point, Mr. President. It would be embarrassing to invite the eastern countries to an exposition under the present circumstances. Yes. Now, tell me, how badly does California want the exposition, Mr. Governor? Well, I think the situation can be remedied, Mr. President. Then I'll leave it in your capable hands, Mr. Governor. Come in. Mr. President, 
I am forced to tell you that the car is waiting in front of the White House. Oh, oh fine, George. A little spin in the fresh air will do you and me a world of good. Uh, couldn't I wait for you at home, Mr. President? <laughs> of course not, George. I'm ready, Father. And so am I. Well, then, let's go. Oh, Father, is the world's exposition going to be in San Francisco? Well, I... <clears throat> it seems to me I can do a little horse trading here. If I tell you, will you tell me? Uh, well, yes. Yes, I'll tell you. All right. The world's exposition is going to be in San Francisco, and everything is at peace between Japan and the United States. Now then, who called you on the telephone? Uh, a newspaper from New York. They wanted to know if there was any truth to the rumor that I was going to start wearing long pants. <laughs> oh, no. What did you tell him? Well, I told him that there was no truth in the rumor, unfortunately. <laughs> Ellen, do you Mr. think... Mr. President, do you think... I think so. Oh, so do I. <laughs> now, Charlie, after we return from our ride, you may call that newspaper and tell them that you were in error when you said that there was nothing to the rumor that you were going into long trousers. You'll be in them next week. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you. And we'll go shopping for them tomorrow, dear. And now, don't you think we'd better start on our ride? Well, I uh, trust that you're prepared for any emergency, Madam President. Why, George? Because in that stuttering piece of tin, anything can happen. And if I'm along, it usually does. Well, come along. Come along. Let's be on our way. Life wouldn't be much fun if nothing happened, George. Well, it isn't that I don't want things to happen, Mr. President. I just think it would all be much more fun if once in a while the things that happened happened to someone else besides me. <laughs> they don't all happen to you, George. Some of them happen to me. But I think it's a wonderful world to be alive in. And a wonderful country to live in. I love everybody today. California, Japan, my family, my countrymen, even my car. And that's because <laughs> you're the president. No, son, don't you think that for one moment. That's because I'm an American. And I'm more happy and more proud of that than anything in the world. No matter what problems I have, I can face them. Because as long as I'm an American with the family I got, I haven't a real problem in the world. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Here is a word that millions of people in Europe fear. It is as destructive as a weapon and just as deadly. It is hunger. One of the best ways we can help the people in Europe combat hunger is by sending food parcels through CARE. CARE sends food and clothing packages which provide more per dollar than individuals can supply any other way. For instance, one food package costing $10 contains 24 and a half pounds of food. CARE guarantees delivery of this food package to any individual or group in 11 countries in Europe and in Israel and Japan. So if you want to send a food package overseas, just mail $10 to CARE, give your name and address, and the name and address of the person the package is going to. Help care for them through CARE. And now back to Edward Arnold. Turn off the motor, Mike! Hurry! The car is going to explode! Now, Charlie, be still. Turn, turn off the motor! 
Now, what in the world has happened? Hey, I'm glad you're able to turn that motor off. I didn't turn it off. It just stopped. Well, where are we? Well, it looks like we're way out in the middle of nowhere. Well, I'll start down the road for the nearest town. But, George, that may be miles. I'm sure it will be. There's nothing else to do. Well, shall I go with you, George? No, no, no. You stay here, Mr. President, and guard your family. I'll see if I can get some help, sir. I can't understand why it won't start. It won't start, Mike, because it isn't a horse. Goodbye, Mr. President, everyone. If I am never seen again, let it always be said I did my best to do my duty for the President and my country. His not to reason why, his but to do or die for America and for President William Howard Taft. <laughs> Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. This program is produced and directed by Joe Graham. Edward Arnold can currently be seen in the MGM picture, Annie, Get Your Gun. Heard in today's cast were Adelaide Klein, Carl Swenson, Ivan Curry, Eric Dressler, and your narrator, Jackson Beck. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President William Howard Taft. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. The preceding program was transcribed. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.